I'm Blythe, and I'm going to be reading the scripture, Luke 2, 10 to 15. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. Here's how you will know I'm telling you the truth. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a large group of angels from heaven also appeared. They were praising God. They said, May glory be given to God in the highest heaven, and may peace be given to those who is pleased with on earth. The angels left and went into heaven. Then the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Thank you, Blythe. Did a fantastic job. That's Blythe's first time to read scripture during the service. She did such a good job. Okay, for the obvious joke, I'll stand up on the stool as well. Okay. All right. Um, I love that Blythe and Melanie Rivers are wearing Doc Martens today. Clearly the coolest shoes for anybody wearing these Good morning. So grateful to be here with you this morning. It's been a really joyful time for me just to see, you know, Abby and River and Ava and um, Kenny doing such a good job singing and all the other teens in the youth group and um, and uh, obviously Blythe. It has been such a wonderful time of worship. Um, would you mind up there in the booth zooming out and getting a big shot of these decorations that James Francois P. Juan did yesterday at like 4 o'clock, 4 p.m.? They are awesome. They are awesome. It looks so good. I walked in this morning and I was like, huh? It's joyful. And then I thought, oh, I hope it's not in messing with the speakers. But that's, that's just my own technical, technical issues. And it's not. It's perfect. So thank you, James, for doing that. Welcome, everybody here. Welcome, everyone joining us online. And I hope you have joy that just because the uh, United States men's team lost the World Cup, it just means it's closer for the World Cup being in New York in four years. So we're, we're that much closer. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. We're going to be working on our theology of, of soccer. Um, and by then, we'll have a whole series on, 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 on that. So uh, over Thanksgiving break, we traveled to Arkansas to visit Allison's family. And I really love going to my in-laws, mainly because I don't know if you feel this way, but it's like your family stuff. It's not your, and so you're just there for the work, for the show, kind of, and you're just watching. And, uh, but no, I love going to my in-laws because, I mean, they are so much food, so much great conversation. We even went to a trivia night out at a restaurant and placed third with 13 people, but it was still great. We had a lot of fun, and, um... And even Grammy, as my mother-in-law is known, uh, she had a basket of candy and Starbucks cards for, for Zeke and Sam as they were in their room. I mean, it's just one of the things that I love so much about going there is just how welcoming and hospitable they all are. Allison's sister, Mary Catherine, everyone's great. Even David, her dad, is, is a good guy. 
So, but the one thing about going to my in-laws' house is that they have cable TV. They have cable TV. And if you're a certain kind of person, and this is not a judgment call, okay? I'm not judging anybody. But if you're a certain kind of person that you live your life on the streaming platforms, you, you, uh, you understand that your commercials are only like three seconds, five seconds if you're on YouTube and you're clicking through or not at all if you're on HBO or Netflix or whatever. But do you know how many commercials are in one hour program on an HGTV show? It's incredible. It's incredible. So, so engaging with uh, cable TV is a little bit of a shock to the system when I get there. But um, commercials on TV, I will say, to their credit, they have time to develop like a story arc and characters, a protagonist, an antagonist, you know, all those things. So it, 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 they're like these mini films. And so they can create um, all of this drama. And in the middle of the Arkansas versus San Diego State basketball game, as I'm laying, just kind of rolling on the floor, full belly, this commercial came on, and I started crying. It was unbelievable. And as I watched it, this commercial perfectly summed up exactly what I wanted to say today about what it means to have joy as a Christian. And I, I was like, I've got to use it on Sunday. So here it is, a theological expression of joy thanks to Kroger's. <laughs> and I'd give up forever to touch you Cause I know Seriously, I'm watching a basketball game I don't care about. And then this comes on, and I'm like, and now I've watched it a couple of times. When he comes down the stairs, his side of the bed, it, her side of the bed isn't disturbed at all. Just his has the pillow on it, and it's like he just got up. What? I've got chills right now. That's incredible. But it's the perfect summation of what it means to live in the world as a Christian with joy. Every bite he took, took him back to a time that was not in the present, but was in the past. And the mixture of sadness and joy are inseparable. What that commercial acknowledges, and indeed what scripture tells us, is that life is a mixture of pain with joy, of loss with hope, of tears with laughter. Now, two weeks ago, we had our Thanksgiving and Remembrance service, and we spent time with Jesus in front of the tomb of his good friend Lazarus. This story in the Gospel of John is the mixture of loss and joy and has this incredible manifestation of hope when Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb. And this is the paradox of being a Christian, of being a person who has faith in the ultimate outcome of all things being made new while also struggling in the immediate now. It's joy. And it's actually a tricky thing to talk about, uh, but it's important. Joy is one of those central themes of Advent season as we await the birth of the Messiah, Jesus. We have hope joy, peace, and love. 
These are ways in which we can orient ourselves in this Christmas season to the meaning and ultimate purpose of the inbreaking of God into our world. We see in Luke how the angels appear to the shepherds saying, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And at the end, the shepherds run off to Bethlehem to see if this news of great joy is indeed true. The angels are letting shepherds know that what they will encounter will be a joy beyond what they can even imagine. A joy that emanates from heaven and God's very being. And it can be found in this manger in the small backwoods town of Bethlehem. The story continues after what Blythe read in Luke chapter 2, verse 16 through 19. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby. The baby was lying in the manger. And after the shepherds had seen them, they told everyone. They reported what the angel had said about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary kept all these things like a secret treasure in her heart. She thought about them over and over again. So the shepherds were given the instructions on how to feel and think when they came upon this teenage girl and her baby. They were told unequivocally that this birth was going to be joy for all people in the world. And the shepherds shared this joy with all who would listen. And those who heard were amazed. Now there's deep symbolism and connection between the angels appearing to the shepherds and the proclamation of the angels themselves. The announcement of God's indwelling is made to the shepherds, not to the kings. The heavenly hosts appear in the fields and the wilderness outside of the city, not in the town square. The joy of the Lord moves from the lower parts. Listen to this. The joy of the Lord moves from the lower parts of society up, not the other way around. And this is key. We see this frame over and over and over again in Scripture. That the ones who have secured their lives with their own hands have the most difficult time letting go and embracing Jesus. I love what Emily said earlier before the Magnificat because I I think about the fact if we, with our modern sensibilities, pulled up on that scene of Mary and Joseph... (laughs) Imagine walking into the manger, seeing this teenage mother and thinking, wow, this probably isn't good. (laughs) So much for this young couple to overcome. So much work for them to do to secure their lives. It probably isn't going to go well. Well, that's our modern sensibility, right? You have to do your thing to live your life to get ahead for you. But the shepherds come in with a different understanding Now, here's why joy is tricky. And we talked about this in youth church not too long ago, the difference between joy and happiness. They're really closely aligned. In fact, if you look up the definition, happiness is in the definition of joy. And telling people to have joy from a pulpit is a very dubious and untrustworthy thing to have happen. If somebody says, buck up and joy up, hold on one second. Like Chris was saying in his, in his talk, he's much more comfortable with grief than joy because you can't escape either. 
where you can't escape the reality of grief. As you watch this sermon from your computer or your tablet, I have no idea what your week has been like. As you enter into this room, I have no idea what baggage you are carrying, the worries that await you 15 hours from now when you walk into work on Monday morning, or the weekend you've had, or the conversation you might have just had with a family member who's being difficult or a worry about somebody far away who's sick and not doing well, or you not being well and struggling with sickness. From a theological perspective, what I think Scripture illuminates is that it is helpful to separate happiness from joy, because happiness is a feeling, and joy, from a Christian perspective, is an orientation. For me, it's helpful to think of joy much more like a discipline rather than a feeling. Joy is something that takes work and intentionality. We cultivate joy within ourselves when we are connected, listen to this, to the Holy Spirit. Because as Paul says, the joy fits into the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Right alongside things like love and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Why is it that joy is sat in the same list of self-control? Or that joy is set in the second, right after love? Because it's a discipline. It's a struggle at times. It's a challenge that only the Holy Spirit can direct us to have deeper and more outflowing expressions of. As I said a moment ago, joy takes work and intentionality. All through the Bible, we see calls for this. We read in Psalm 98, 4 through 9. Sing for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Praise him with songs and shouts of joy. Sing praises to the Lord. Roar sea and every creature in you. Sing earth. And all who live on you, clap your hands, you rivers, you hills, sing together with joy before the Lord, because he comes to rule the earth, and he will rule the peoples of the world with justice and fairness. Now, the psalmist knows that the people of the world are not ruled with justice and fairness, This will occur only when the Lord comes, and thus, in the midst of the injustice, in the midst of the corruption, the psalmist says, sing for joy to the Lord. The whole collection of the psalms, joy is side by side with lament. In fact, the whole of scripture in the words of Reverend Dr. Luke A. Powery, the first African-American dean of the Duke Divinity School, he says this, joy doesn't alleviate the pain we endure It's not an escape valve from the reality of dangers, toils, and snares. Joy grows in the midst of pain because it's never disconnected from human life. Our thanksgiving, our Eucharist, the expression of joy should never be disengaged from suffering because we come to know God in the midst of suffering. We see from many black poets, for example, and authors and theologians, that joy is an act of resistance. That black joy 
is a way to push back against a culture seeped in suspicion and persecution and violence directed towards the black body. So the celebration is a way to say, you will not hold me down. My joy is resistance. For some, joy in one's own frame and one's own body A frame created in the image of God is an act of resistance. Taking joy in how one's body is shaped says to the images scrolling on our Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok feeds that we are created in God's image and our bodies are meant to express God's joy. Joy is an act of resistance for the one who remains content with their own possessions of the day or their own accolades of the moment in the face of others who have more praise and renown in the face of others who have more things the joy is in what you have at this moment and you sing praise and thanksgiving with joy that is a huge push of resistance in our world that touches every single one of us Joy in today, in this moment, in the very breath you are inhaling right now is an act of resistance for those whose bodies are sick or made frail with disease. I wouldn't normally do this, but I've heard it from her. Danielle said, quote, last week, I feel better than I've ever felt. She is emanating joy in the midst of frailty. And she's not the only one. That is an act of resistance. That is a resistance. That is resistance against the powers that seek to steal, kill, and destroy. The church, this church, is filled with people who inhabit joy as resistance in all of these ways and more. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German Lutheran pastor, theologian, and anti-Nazi dissident, was arrested in 1943 in April. He was executed in a concentration camp by hanging in 1945. And while in this concentration camp, he wrote this poem called Sorrow and Joy. Startled senses striking suddenly on our scene. At this first approach, all but impossible of just distinction from one for the other. Even as frost and heat at the first keen contact burn us alike. Sorrow and joy, those they encounter, they transfigure, investing them with strange gravity and a spirit of worship. Joy is rich in fears. Sorrow has its sweetness, undistinguishable from each other. They approach us from eternity equally potent in their power and terror. What then is joy? What then is sorrow? Time alone can decide between them. When the immediate poignant happening lengthens out to continuous wearisome suffering, when the labored creeping moments of daylight slowly uncover the fullness of our disaster, it's sorrow's unmistakable features. The sorrow of the cross, 
is the joy of the resurrection. The sorrow of Peter's betrayal is the joy of Jesus saying, feed my sheep. The sorrow and the worry of the birth of the Savior of all the world sitting in the heart and the mind of the young teenage girl and she stores it all up in her heart and she sings, my soul will magnify the Lord. Joy as resistance. Joy as a discipline. Joy emanating from God in the cries of a newborn baby Joy looking towards the horizon, fueled by hope, manifested in the divine joy of the resurrection. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for this time that we could spend in the presence of your spirit together. We thank you for this worship, for the gifts that have been brought to proclaim your name this morning. As we leave this place, help us to take the joy of your spirit with us. May we reflect on the joy of the incarnation, the presence, the God coming near. And may we find hope and joy in Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, please stand. We're going to have a benediction. And this benediction is a meditation on, um, on what it means to move out of these doors in joy. Blessed source of joy, carve out room in us for the inexpressible delights of love. Let our hearts become fountains overflowing into the world with your love and compassion. Help us to pause each day and whisper thank you for the most ordinary graces and gifts. In the way that you looked upon your creation and called everything so good, kindle in us that kind of generous vision. Lift us beyond our narrow concerns and help us to see how there is no separation. We are all connected. Support us in honoring our bodies as sacred temples and losing ourselves in the great cosmic dance. <laughs>